So this morning I'm going to start out with a, a traditional uh, prayer blessing. It's called the Shema, and this is usually recited in synagogues, and it's re recited every morning and every night in the life of a Jewish person, and it's just declaring the oneness of God. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad Baruch Shem Kavod Malchuto Le'olam Vayed Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be the name of his glorious kingdom forever and ever. And we'll recite the blessing over the reading of God's word. Baruch Adonai Hamvarak. Blessed is Adonai, the blessed one. Baruch Adonai Hamvarak Le'olam Vayed. Blessed is Adonai, the blessed one, for all eternity. Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher bachar banu michol haamim, venetin lanu et torato, Baruch Adonai, noten haTorah. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has selected us from all peoples and gave us his Torah. Blessed are you, O Lord, giver of the Torah. And as it says in Psalm 119.18, let this be our prayer, Open my eyes that I might behold wondrous things out of your Torah. Bashem Yeshua Moshenu, in the name of Yeshua our Messiah. Amen. So today, or this week's Torah portion, is Behelotecha, which means when you set up, and it's taken from Numbers chapter 8, verse 1, all the way to chapter 12, verse 16. And uh, I felt led to focus in on Numbers chapter 12, so that's where we're going to be spending the majority of our time today, is in Numbers chapter 12. Now, sometimes as a preacher and as a speaker, um... I'm reluctant to bring certain messages because sometimes certain messages seem self-serving. And I don't want this message to seem self-serving. If it's the Word of God, I'm obligated to teach it and preach it, regardless of how it may sound or seem to somebody else. And those of you who know me know that I'm not out for anything, or I don't have any kind of soapbox or anything of any self-glorification. Uh, because this Torah portion is talking about leaders and talking about leadership. And I'm reminded in the New Testament, or the Renewed Covenant, rather, that Yeshua said that sometimes the enemies, that your enemies are going to be people from your own household. Sometimes you're going to get opposition from the inside before you get it from the outside. And sometimes it's coming from both directions, inside and out. And poor Moses. Moses was a man of God, and even in this passage it says that he was the meekest man on the face of the earth. He was humble. And he was reluctant to be the leader of the children of Israel. But he accepted that calling and even got to the point in this Torah portion where he's like, where the people were complaining. You know, they were, they were moaning about God's goodness. They were complaining about God's blessings. God has promised to give us what we need, not what we want. What did the children of Israel need in the wilderness? They needed sustenance. They needed food and water. He turned the bitter waters into sweet waters when they were complaining, oh, we're thirsty, we're going to die of thirst, we don't have anything to drink. And the Lord told Moses, toss this stick or this tree into the water and it'll become sweet. And then now they're complaining about the manna. 
that God has given them. This manna was miraculous. It, it came from heaven. It's called the bread of angels. And it said that it came down with the dew. And so what the rabbis and sages say that this manna, which looked like little, like one rabbi described it as looking like rock candy, that it was enveloped in the droplets of dew. So it was almost like a, a sandwich baggie, an ancient sandwich baggie. The dew protected the manna. And so when, you know, they would gather up this manna and it was miraculous, they were able to grind it up and make bread out of it. And it said it tasted like honey cakes. And uh, they were complaining about it. And I get it. I get it. I know. Like sometimes you crave something. And like, for instance, when Pam and I first got married, you know, of course, we were young. We were poor. So we had tuna helper almost every single night. And now to this day, we will not eat tuna helper. <laughs> we are sick of tuna helper. <laughs> uh, we, we have outgrown the taste of tuna helper. But yet it supplied our needs. And if we had to eat tuna helper again, we would eat it gladly because we know that God said he would supply our needs and not our wants. So they're complaining about this manna. And Moses is like, Lord, did I give birth to these people? These, they, 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 am, I, am I to babysit them? Lord, just kill me now. If you, have, if you love me and if I find favor in your eyes, kill me now. I can't take it anymore. And the Lord provided Moses the means. And I think that's interesting too that Moses really had it out with God. And we've been brought up and taught in a lot of sects of Christendom, oh, you, you, you don't disrespect God. You, you, know, you come to him humbly and you don't express your agitation or anger towards God. Really? God created those emotions. He's given us those emotions. God has big shoulders. He can take it. How many times do we read in the scripture where the prophets had it out with God? God, why are you doing this? If you're so just, why is this happening? Job had it out with God. Habakkuk had it, out, had it out with God. Moses had it out with God. Did God chastise Moses for his outburst of, of anger and frustration over leading the children of Israel? No, he gave him a solution. He said, choose 70 elders. And what the rabbis say about these 70 elders is that these 70 elders were the same men that were the foremen, the Hebrew foremen, over the children of Israel. And these Hebrew foremen had Egyptian slave masters over them. So whenever the slaves would do something wrong, instead of the slaves getting punished individually, these Hebrew foremen, these leaders stood in the gap and said, we'll take the beating for our people. You punish us, you don't punish them. And according to the rabbis, these were the same men that became the 70 elders of Israel. And so this pattern of this leadership of 70, why 70? Because there's 70 root nations. You know, there's, there's one elder for each nation, so to speak, symbolically speaking. Now, originally, Moses, you know, chose 72. But, um, you know, like, I think it was, what, two from each tribe or several from each tribe or something like that. I can't remember how the math works out because I'm bad at math. But anyways, it was 72. And so he had to choose by lot which two to leave out. So it was Eldad and Medad who were in the camp who wasn't there with the other 70 elders when uh, God took some of the spirit that was on Moses and placed it on these elders. And these elders began prophesying. And even though Medad and Eldad were taken out by Lot, God still considered them elders and leaders, and they were prophesying in the camp. So I think that's kind of interesting, too. And so this, these 70 leaders eventually what become in the renewed covenant, the Sanhedrin the 70 elders that sat on the Jewish Supreme Court. Now, we find a challenge to Moses' leadership. 
in Numbers chapter 12. So in Numbers chapter 12, it's a very short chapter. Uh, what, uh, 16 verses. So it says, Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses on account of the Cushite woman he married, because he married a Cushite woman. Okay, wait a second. Is there a contradiction in scripture here? Huh? He married uh, uh, a shepherd. Yeah, he, he married a shepherdess. Yes. Zipporah. Zipporah, yes. Zipporah was not a Cushite. Zipporah was a Midianite. So who's this Cushite woman? Now, I can't prove this because it's not canonical, right? But there's extra biblical literature that answers this question and fills in this gap. So in the scripture, not everything that happened was written in the scripture. There's some parts of the story that are left out. Just like when you have a movie that's too long for television and they edit it for television, sometimes they'll leave out scenes, right? So it's kind of the same thing in the word of God. What, what the Lord thought maybe wasn't very pertinent, he be left out. But yet you have the book of Jasher, which talks about when Moses fled Egypt and he was a fugitive because Pharaoh wanted to kill him. He didn't immediately go to Midian. Whereas we read in the scriptures, that's the way it sounds. But according to the book of Jasher, you have what? Five or six chapters, give or take, where Moses left and went to Cush. And he became the general of the Cushite army. Now, this is where I personally believe that Moses got his wife from Cush. And it wasn't very unusual for the patriarchs to have in the leaders of Israel because it was culturally acceptable at that time to have more than one wife. So this was possibly Moses' first wife. Now, there's other interpretations that say, no, 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 this is Zipporah because this Cush, Cushite is really a, a derivative of the word Cushy, which was an a Arabian tribe, which could be traced back to Midian. How true that is, I don't know. Maybe that's just somebody's way of trying to, you know, make the scripture look like it's not contradicting itself. But I think a perfectly valid and good explanation is that this Cushite woman was actually, uh, you know, maybe Moses' first wife when he was a general in the Cushite army. Because we know that even uh, Joseph, that he was given a wife when he was in Egypt, right? When he became leader. So maybe that was an ancient custom and tradition that if you become leader and you're a part of this people, you're given a wife, so you'd be better part of the community or what have you. Now, others say that Cushite means black. It does mean black, but Cushite was a symbol of beauty, just like an onyx stone is a precious stone and it's black, but it's very beautiful. It was relating to Zipporah that she's beautiful. So whether, inter whether either interpretation you hold to, it doesn't really matter to me. My personal opinion is that this Cushite woman was his first wife and it wasn't Zipporah. But it says, then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses on account of the Cushite woman he married because he had married a Cushite woman. They asked, how is Adonai spoken only through Moses? Hasn't he also spoken through us? So all of a sudden, they're getting upset at their little brother because he's the leader. It's not like Moses raised his hand saying, Ooh, 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 God, can I please be the leader? He was reluctant. He said, no, 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 choose somebody else. I can't even speak well. So it says, they asked, has Adonai spoken only through Moses? Hasn't he also spoken through us? Look, we're from the same family. We're elders. We're older than he is. Why don't we have the same power and the authority that Moses has? And it says, Adonai heard it. Adonai heard it. So this implies that Moses wasn't privy to what was said. They were talking about Moses behind his back. But Adonai heard it. And Adonai will vindicate his anointed. 
he will vindicate his leadership. He will not let his leadership uh, suffer uh, to where that those perpetrators go unpunished. They may not be taken care of in the way that we think they should be taken care of, but the Lord will dish out his justice. And that doesn't mean that the leadership wouldn't suffer because sometimes leadership does suffer, but we can learn lessons from these sufferings and God changes and turns our sufferings into blessings. So basically we see here that God backs up Moses. Says verse three, now the man Moses was very humble, more so than anyone on the face of the earth. Immediately Adonai said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, the three of you come out to the tent of meeting. That's just like being in school saying, so-and-so, please come to the principal's office. You're like, oh crap, I'm in trouble. What did I do? God calls all three of them, so they're probably thinking, what in the world's going on? Well, what happened? What did we do? They knew that they were in trouble. So verse 5 says, Adonai descended in a column of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent of meeting and called to Aaron and Miriam. So Moses is just there because they were talking about him. He's just a witness. He doesn't get called out from the three of them because he didn't do anything wrong. So it says the two of them step forward. I can kind of see Miriam and Aaron kind of looking at each other, their eyes wide and kind of trembling and shaking as they step forward and Moses is standing behind them. Verse six, hear now my words. This is what the Lord said. Hear now my words, he said. When there is a prophet of Adonai, I reveal myself in a vision and speak to him in a dream. <laughs> Not so with my servant Moses. In all my house, he is faithful. I speak with him face to face. And that Hebrew word is mouth to mouth. I speak with him mouth to mouth. I put my words in his mouth. And when you think of mouth to mouth, you think of intimacy. When you think of mouth to mouth, you think of maybe first aid and CPR, mouth to mouth resuscitation. And how did God make a bunch of clay dirt into a living human being? He breathed into the person, right? So he breathes inspiration. Not so with my servant Moses. In all my house, he is faithful. I speak with him face to face, plainly, and not in riddles. I mean, the Lord gives me dreams all the time. I'm like, Lord, what the heck does this mean? How am I to interpret this? It's very rare that the Lord speaks to me very plainly, but here Moses spoke to him plainly. He even looks at the form of Adonai. Why then are you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? So basically saying, you're speaking against Moses, you're speaking against me. When, when, <laughs> anytime that, uh, that Ariana would be sassy and mouthy to Pam, that got me ticked off more than anything. And I stepped, I said, uh-uh, you don't talk to my wife that way. You don't talk to your mother. You talking to your mother that way, it's like you're talking to me that way. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Adonai's anger burned against them, and he left them. And when the cloud lifted from above the tent, behold, Miriam had Zaaret. She had leprosy, as it says in English. It's some kind of skin affliction. And this also denotes that the first Hebrews were very dark-skinned, very dark-complected, because leprosy showed up as white on the skin. And with us all Caucasian people who are more white and don't have much melanin, it's really hard to see a white spot show up on you. So it says, Miriam had Zaret like snow. That's how white it was. As Aaron turned toward her, she had Zaret, And he said to Moses, please, my Lord, don't hold any of 
of the sin we have committed so foolishly. So here, Aaron is confessing that they gossiped about him. Lashon hara, the evil tongue, slandered Moses behind his back. He's like, please, we're sorry. We repent. Don't hold it against us. Don't let her be like a stillborn baby who comes from the mother's womb with his flesh half eaten away. Now, it's interesting. She got leprosy, the aretz. Now, according to the Torah, the high priest is supposed to declare somebody who has leprosy. And then they have to go through this whole ritual of sacrifice and procedure in order to be cleansed when they are cleansed. But this doesn't happen with Miriam. Because she's a leader, does she get a free ride? Is there exception to the rule? No, because she wasn't declared. She wasn't declared that she had leprosy. She wasn't declared unclean by the high priest, by Aaron. Aaron just says, he, just, he acknowledges he has leprosy, but he didn't make like an official high priest statement. Oh, she has, she has leprosy. So it says, don't, he, he said, oh, it says just, um, as Aaron turned towards her, she had Zaretz. So he visually acknowledged it. He knew what it was. He said to Moses, please, my Lord, don't let, uh, don't hold against us the sin we have committed foolishly. Don't let her be like a stillborn baby who has come from the mother's womb with flesh half eaten away. He never said the word leprosy. He never declared that she had leprosy, though it was obvious that she had. So I think this is why she didn't have to go through the whole sacrificial ritual. But apparently, after Moses prayed, she was healed immediately. So Moses cried to Adonai saying, oh God, heal her now. And that really showed how humble Moses was. Because sometimes when God gets those that have spoken against us, we're like, you get them, God. They deserve that. And you feel a little bit vindicated, like, yeah. But Moses didn't want to see anybody hurt, especially his sister, who was like a second mother to him, and his big brother Aaron, who was the high priest. Oh, God, heal her now. This is said to be the shortest Hebrew prayer in Scripture. Oh, God, heal her now. Adonai said to Moses, if her father but had spit in her face, would she not be in shame for seven days? So even though she was healed, this implies that she was immediately restored, immediately healed. But just because she was healed, she couldn't go back into the camp. God declared her unclean. She was still unclean, so she at least had to isolate for seven days. Let her be confined outside the camp. In other words, this is kind of like God saying, you've been punished. Now go to your room. You're grounded for a week. So she was, Samarium was sent to her room. Let her be confined outside the camp for seven days. After that, she may be brought back. So Miriam was restricted to the outside the camp for seven days. The people did not move until Miriam was brought back. Afterward, the people left Hazaroth and encamped in the wilderness of Paran. So God will defend and vindicate his leaders, and the opposition will have to live with the consequences. Now, I also want to read a, a scripture from Exodus, just a verse, so you don't have to turn there. But Exodus chapter 22 Shmot, or uh, Exodus chapter 22. Here we go. Exodus chapter 22, verse 27. Do not despise God or curse a ruler of your people. So this was a command in, in Exodus that whoever God has put in authority over you, that you're to respect them. Doesn't mean that you're always going to agree with them. Doesn't even mean you're going to like them. Think of King Saul. He had the anointing of God on his life, the anointing oil, the holy consecration upon his head and upon his life. And he was a dastardly, jealous, bad dude. 
He made a lot of mistakes. And if I was in David's shoes, I'd like, hey, it's kill or be killed. I probably would have killed Saul if it was up to me. And he had plenty of opportunity to do it. But even at the unction of his mighty men, David still wouldn't lift a hand against Saul. Why? Because he was anointed by God, even though he was in a backslidden condition. He was still God's king. He was still God's anointed. And even though David knew he was going to be the next king, he's like, I'm going to let God make me king. I'm not going to be made king by myself. So, you know, granted, there's a lot of ministers that I don't really care for. And I may not totally agree with them. But if I know that God has called them, I'm going to love them and respect them and be civil to them. I may not follow them or they, I may not be under their teaching or tutelage, but God help me. I won't say anything bad against them unless they obviously go, you know, do or say something against God's law, which I would, I'd be obligated to kind of point out saying this is what the scripture says. But it says, do not despise God. So in other words, when you are disrespecting the leadership that God has placed over you, you're disrespecting God. Just as it says, children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother, it says in the Ten Commandments. If you don't honor your father and mother, you're not honoring God. If you're not honoring the spiritual leadership that God has put over you, you're not honoring God. Do not despise God or curse a ruler of your people. See why I don't want to preach this. <laughs> See why I don't want to teach this because it sounds like I'm talking about me. Like, oh yeah, you guys got to listen to me. It sounds self-serving, but regardless, it's the word of God and I'm obligated to teach it. But you guys know that I'm not meaning it that way. But I still don't like teaching it. But this is the way that God has led me. And so in 1 Timothy, Paul kind of talks about spiritual leadership. And Timothy was a young guy back in the ancient day. I mean, a lot of times we consider 30-somethings to be old. I mean, they're still young, but they're, but they're older. But yet, Timothy was like maybe in his 30s, maybe approaching 40. And uh, he had a little congregation in Ephesus. And he was over a lot of people way older than he was. And so he felt intimidated because he was a young guy. And he's like, who am I to be this, this leader, this pastor, this shepherd over these people that could be my parents or grandparents? And so Paul gives him advice in 1 Timothy chapter 5, starting with verse 17. He says, the elders who lead are well worthy of honor and honorarium especially those who work hard in the word and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the worker is worthy of his wages. Do not accept an accusation against an elder, except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Correct those who continue sinning in the presence of everyone, so that the rest may fear also. So this is basically saying that those that are in spiritual authority and leadership, give them their, give them their due. Give them their respect and give them their due. Um, and I, I think it's interesting how the Apostle Paul himself approached the situation because he quoted from the Torah and he says that you shall not muzzle an ox while it's threshing grain. So while the ox is working, it needs to eat. Don't deny an ox food while it's working or while it's eating. So it's saying that a worker is worthy of his hire. A worker is worthy of his wages. Pay what they need to live. So basically, it's, it's talking about an income for a spiritual leader. But again, spiritual leaders, a lot of them back in the day, were not full-time ministers. A lot of times, a lot of rabbis had a, had a job. They had a trade. 
Case in point, Yeshua, our Messiah, he was a carpenter. Paul was a tent maker, which was an idiomatic way of saying he made prayer shawls. He made talits. So you had all these rabbis. And so whenever Paul would go out on a missionary journey, he said, look, I could ask you guys for stuff because it's my right and I deserve it as a leader, but I'm not going to do that. Have we not worked among you so that we wouldn't burden you? So basically, Paul was of the of the thing, you know, yes, I, I'm worthy and deserving of this, but I'm not going to ask for it. So in other words, he was counting on God to move in the hearts of the people to give him what he needed for his missionary journey. And we see that God provided. And Paul made this edict. He said, if a person doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. So he was talking about the importance of work and the importance of leadership. But he wanted to set an example for the community that even leaders because it was strange when I went to Nigeria, it's as if everything was handed to me on a silver platter, and I hated that. I mean, I, I was grateful for the hospitality, but it was almost as it almost felt like they were kind of worshiping me in some way. And I know they were just showing me honor, and I didn't like that. It's like, no, I'm, I'm here to serve you. I'm here to work for you. As long as I have food and a bed, I'm good, right? And I think that was kind of Paul's approach and his, his opinion, too. Um, so. A big reason for church splits is due to folks not getting behind the leaders. Ministers are appointed and anointed, whereas leaders are elected and selected. Moses was appointed and anointed by God to be the head over the children of Israel. Whereas the 70 elders, they were elected and selected. They were elected by the people in Egypt, apparently, and they were selected by Moses to be his helpers. So leaders, administrations, board of management, their job is to be there to assist the leader in fulfilling the call that God has placed on his life for that particular people, that particular congregation. That's what their job is. To be kind of like, it's like a marriage where, where the husband is the head of the house and the woman is the helpmate, the helpmate. She's there to help the husband and assist him to, to help fulfill his duties and his callings. So appointed and anointed. We'll go to Exodus chapter 3 and we'll kind of uh, hash this out a little bit. Exodus chapter 3 verse 11. This is the difference between appointed and anointed and elected and selected. So Exodus chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, read like this. But, God, or, but Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring B'nai Israel, the children of Israel, out of Egypt? Verse 12. So he said, I will surely be with you, so that you will be the sign, or so that, so that will be the sign to you, uh, that it is who I have sent to you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. So Exodus chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, is showing how God appointed and anointed Moses. He backed up this appointment and anointment with signs and wonders to prove to the leaders that were elected and selected of Israel that God had sent him. So that's appointed and anointed as opposed to elected and selected. In Exodus chapter 18, this is elected and selected. Exodus chapter 18. 
starting with verse 17. Now, I think it's interesting that somebody who was not a part of Israel had such a powerful influence over Israel that they contributed so much to Judaism and so much to the, to the Israeli people. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, a Midianite. He was, he was a descendant of Abraham, yes, but he wasn't a Hebrew. He wasn't a Jew. He wasn't. But yet here, Jethro gives advice. God approves of this advice, and Moses implements it. So in Exodus chapter 18, beginning with verse 17, it says, But Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you're doing is no good. So where did Moses learn his leadership? He was a prince of Egypt. He learned his leadership by Pharaoh and what he was taught in Pharaoh's court, that you are a benevolent dictator, that what you say goes, that your word is everybody else's wish and command. And even as a shepherd in Midian, the sheep didn't talk back to him. What he said went, and he made the sheep do what he wanted them to do. So this is the kind of leadership mode and method. And even when he was in Cush, according to the book Jasher, being general of the Cushite army, when you're, when you're commanding an army, they do what you say. If not, they're court-martialed and put to death. So here, Jethro gives a new model, well, maybe not a new model, but kind of reminds Moses, hey, there's different ways to lead. And in this situation, you need to lead like this. But Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you're doing is no good. Sun up to sundown, judging all these cases, listening to people's complaints, sun up to sundown. You will surely wear yourself out as well as these people who are with you because the task is too heavy for you. You can't do it alone. You can't do it by yourself. Moses, you're not Superman. Now listen to my voice and I will give you advice and may God be with you. You represent the people before God. So even Jethro is saying, look, you are anointed and appointed. You represent the people before God and bring their cases to God and enlighten them as to the statutes and the laws and show them the ways that uh, which they must walk and the work they must do. In other words, be their teacher. But you should seek out capable men out of all the people, men who fear God, men of truth, who hate bribery. Appoint them. In other words, give them the authority, give them your authority to do what they need to do. So it's kind of like, uh, you know, an ambassador. They have the authority of whatever king or president or government sent them, right? They were elected and selected by Moses and by God, but their leadership did not supersede Moses' leadership. Moses kind of had the final say. Appoint them to be rulers over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Let them be judges of uh, of the people for all time. So we see that this literally carried on into the New Testament era with the Sanhedrin being the 70 elders. Okay, we'll go ahead and just stop there. So the leaders and parishioners of the congregation is supposed to support and help and bring the vision of God uh, that he gave to the minister to fruition and not to criticize him or to be a leash or to be a censor. And it seems that there's a lot of church splits because maybe the leadership feel intimidated by the power and the influence that the pastor has. The pastor is not going into the, in the direction they want to go, but what they don't realize is their direction is not God's direction, but they think it is because we're the majority, right? Now, there's a difference between power and influence. 
if I have power and I give you power, I lose some of my power because I'm sharing my power with all of you. So that kind of diminishes my power to a degree. You have too many chiefs and not enough Indians, as, as that colloquialism goes. But yet influence, on the other hand, I can influence you, and you can take my influence and make it your influence and influence other people, and that's different, being a, an influencer rather than a, being you know, with power. So this is kind of the difference in the situation where me, Dad, and El Dad were prophesying, and they weren't with the meeting of the 70. They were still in the camp. And all of a sudden, this guy says, Moses, Moses, you won't believe what's happening. There's a me, me, Dad, and El Dad is prophesying in the camp. And Joshua was jealous because he thought that Moses may lose some of his power or his reputation or something like that. And he's like, we got to stop him, Moses. And he said, Joshua, are you jealous for my sake? Oh, I just wish all of God's people were prophets. He was basic, Moses was basically saying, I want everybody be, to be influencers. I'm not threatened by influence. Let them prophesy. Let them speak the words of God because they're God's words. How am I going to lose face because of that? Even when the disciples were threatened, when there was this guy, I call him the unknown disciple. He's out there teaching and preaching and doing great things in Jesus' name. He said, hey, Jesus, you'll never believe what happened. We ran into this guy and he was speaking and preaching in your name and we forbid him it's like what in the world did you do that for whoever whoever is for us is not against us leave him alone just because he wasn't a part of the 12 they thought oh he's unauthorized they thought maybe jesus was going to lose some influence and power and reputation because this other guy was speaking maybe he would get more popular than jesus but jesus is like no no, no, no. he's on our team he doesn't have to travel around with us to be on our team. That's the difference between power and influence. Power, on the other hand, you had, in this passage, you had Aaron and Miriam kind of struggling for power. Hey, who, made, who died and made Moses king? What's so special about Moses? Aren't we part of the same family? Doesn't God speak to us too? It's almost as if they were wanting equal power. The rebellion of Korah where you had uh, the Korah, which was part of the Levites, and you also had um, Reuben, who was the firstborn, but he was booted out of being firstborn because he slept with Bilhah, the concubine. They're jockeying and vying for position, saying, hey, let's appoint a leader and go back to Egypt. Forget this Moses guy. And here Moses got mad because they weren't wanting to influence. They were wanting a coup. They were wanting to take over. And so Moses is saying, like, Lord, open up the ground, swallow them up, take them down to the grave alive. That's the difference there. So the vision by God to Moses was to get to the promised land. And instead of one coup d'etat and complaint after another. So he was, he was getting these leaders to help keep things in order so they can make it to the promised land. And eventually... Moses would appoint a successor, and we know that was Joshua because Joshua was his protege from the very beginning. And just a little passage I shared a few weeks back about Joshua is that wherever Moses went, Joshua went. And when Moses would go into the tent of meeting to speak with the Lord, he would leave and said Joshua would stay behind. He was soaking up more of God. And he was there on Mount Sinai, even though that, God, uh, even though that Moses went into the cloud to meet with God to receive the tablets. Joshua was, was camped just outside the cloud. Because remember when he came back and says, Moses, I hear, I hear you know, uh, war in the camp. No, 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 that's not, that's not 
war cries, that, that's singing. And they come down and find the whole golden calf. So here is a beautiful example of getting behind a ministerial leader. And we find this in a couple passages, and I'll end with these two passages. Exodus chapter 25, verses 1 through 9. Adonai spoke to Moses, who was anointed and appointed, right? Adonai spoke to Moses saying, tell B'nai Israel." In other words, speak to the children of Israel on my behalf. You're my ambassador. Take up an offering for me, not for Moses, but for God. From anyone whose heart compels him, and you are to take my offering. These are the contributions which you are to receive. Gold, silver, bronze, blue and purple, scarlet cloth, fine linen, goat's hair, ram skins, dyed red, seal skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, uh, and uh, for anointing oil, spices and sweet incense, onyx stones, setting of stones for the ephod and for the breastplate. So these are all the materials and components that were needed to make the garments for the high priest and the tabernacle. Why the tabernacle? Because God wanted to dwell among the people. He wanted a palace in the middle of the camp to where his presence, the glory cloud, could be seen and known. His voice could be heard among the people so that they knew that God was in their midst. He wanted to fellowship with his people. And so what does it say in uh, Exodus chapter 36, verses 1 through 7? So Bezaliel and Aholabab are to work along with wise-hearted a wise-hearted man in whom Adonai has placed insight and understanding to know how to perform all the labor for the service of the sanctuary according to everything Adonai had commanded. Then Moses called Bezaliel and Ahalabab and all the wise-hearted men in whose minds Adonai had set wisdom along with everyone whose heart stirred him up to come and do the work. They received from Moses the entire offerings of B'nai Israel and brought for the work of the service of the sanctuary to build it. What if, they weren't behind, what if they didn't get behind Moses on this? There would have been no tabernacle. There would have been no... They brought free will offerings to him morning and afternoon. Then all the skilled men who were doing all the work of the sanctuary came, and one by, and, uh, one, by one from work he was doing, and said to Moses, The people are bringing much more than enough for the work of the construction that Adonai has commanded to be done. So Moses gave an order. And they proclaimed it throughout all the camp, saying, Let neither man nor woman make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing more, for the work material they had was sufficient for all the work, and they had much left over. See what happens when you get behind an anointed and appointed leader that God has placed over a group. Great things can happen. We see that the tabernacle was built, the, the, the garments for the high priest, and God came and dwelled in a dramatic way in the tabernacle. His glory cloud was seen among them. They didn't complain. Oh, was Moses, oh, just Moses is trying to mooch off us. Moses is just trying to get rich. He's just like one of these TV preachers, and you know he's just one. No, they didn't complain. They're like, okay, Moses, we'll help you out. If this is what you say God wants, we're behind you. And they donated all these things, and it said more than enough. Moses literally and actually had to say, stop giving. I've never heard a ministry in all my years get on the TV and radio and say, well, bless God, I know I've asked you to give from week to week to keep the lights on, but I'm telling you right now, don't ever give to this ministry again because we have more than we need. I've never heard that. 
They always want more and more and more and more. But Moses actually said, stop giving. We have more than enough. And when we get behind God's anointed and we get behind God's word and we get behind God's leadership and we give our all, not to this leader, but to God. They weren't serving Moses. They were serving God because God said, let them build a tabernacle for me. Let them bring contributions for me. They're not Moses' contributions. They're my contributions. So whatever a work that is done in a congregation is not done for the pastor. It's not done for the board of management. It's done for the glory of God, for his work, for his ministry in that community. So when you get behind your leader, you're getting behind the work of the Lord. Because that leader represents God. He's his ambassador for that community or that place. And sadly, a lot of times the leaders try to make a coup attempt when, they're do when the leader decides to go away that they don't want to go. Because they don't want to hear the Lord or listen to the Lord. And churches break up and split as a result of this. And it's a bad witness for the community. Now, if a leader's in question, like it says in Timothy, don't accept an accusation unless there's witnesses. Two or three witnesses, and that's the Torah. By two or three witnesses, let everything be established. And of course, if there is a minister that has gotten greedy or gone astray or done something wrong, there's ways of dealing with that and booting him out and, you know, even maybe restoring him if he's repentant. But if the leader is in the will of God, there's no reason not to get behind him. But it's our human flesh thinking, I'm going to get ripped off. I'm going to get jaded. I'm going to get stomped on. I'm going to get hurt. That's what we feel, and we're afraid of that, so we protect ourselves by saying, well, I'm not, I'm not doing anything. I'm not giving. Can't twist my arm and make me. Oh, I so didn't want to preach this. But just as I have had to support people that I've sat under, sometimes I didn't fully understand. Sometimes I didn't even fully agree, but I knew that God's anointing was on their life. And because I was faithful and stuck it out, even though I didn't, Totally understand. The Lord did great things. And I'm glad that I didn't get stubborn or, or stiff-necked or, or rebellious because then God can't, couldn't bless me. And I think what David did speaks volumes in not coming against Saul, even though he was totally in the wrong. Yeshua himself not coming against Judas. He knew Judas was going to betray him, turn his back on him, stab him in the back, sell him out for money. He still washed his feet anyway, still loved him anyway. But yet, little did, it, did, did Judas know that all this was part of the plan. He was supposed to die. <laughs> if it wasn't for him dying, we wouldn't be sitting here and rising from the dead. So I think this is a lesson that we need to learn now today more than ever in the light of scandals all over the place. TV preachers building mansions for themselves, getting themselves jets, and some of them being caught embezzling money or having sexual relations with people whom they shouldn't and all this kind of stuff. That's just Satan's way to try to corrupt the whole thing, to paint everybody and everything with one broad stroke and say, let's just forget it all together and just stick to your, be to yourself. Don't, don't even put yourself out there to get hurt. Face it, human leadership is fallible. But a true sign of a true leader is when they make a mistake, they will fess up and make it right. They won't try to hide it. They won't try to brush it under the rug. They won't try to justify it. Let's say, look, I was wrong, and I ask you to forgive me. That's when you know that there's a, a leader that is appointed and anointed. Because you know what? We all make mistakes. Paul had to confess he was wrong. Remember the missionary journey when uh, Silas and his, uh, his nephew, Mark, John Mark? 
Or was it, Bar wait, Paul and Bar No, it was Barnabas, because he went with Silas afterwards. It was Barnabas. Barnabas' nephew, John Mark. Somehow, John Mark left in the middle of the missionary journey. Paul took great offense to this. Oh, yeah, he's a young whippersnapper. He doesn't have stick-to-itiveness. Oh, yeah, he abandoned us. And he kind of held it against John Mark for a while. And that caused a split between him and Barnabas. And then so Paul chooses Silas. But later on in his letters, he talks highly of John Mark. He says, bring John Mark to me because he's profitable to me. At that point, Paul had to admit, I was wrong about John Mark. I didn't fully understand the situation. So even Paul was humble enough to admit, you know, his mistakes and his bad outlooks on things. But a true leader is a good leader when they could admit that. All right. Kind of a hard way to figure out how to wrap this up and to shut this down, but I think I'll just end right there. And uh, let's, let's close in a word of prayer. Lord, you're just looking for a few good men. <laughs> just like the slogan for the Marines. And you used Moses to lead millions of Israelites and 70 elders with him that backed him up. And Lord, we're living in a day and age where there's a lot of people saying, I'm the leader, I'm the chief. Follow me, do what I say. But a lot of them don't have the credentials from you or the street cred. And it's making it look bad for those who are genuine and sincere. Lord, I pray that those that are genuine and sincere would rise to the top through troubles, trials, tribulations, through the things that are going on in this world, that the true leaders that you have appointed and anointed and called would rise to the top, that it would be made clear that they are your anointed and appointed leaders, and that we as your people would rally behind them and support them in your work the work that you have called them to do. And my work may be different from another leader's work, and that leader's work will be different from another, and that's okay, because it's all different pieces to one giant puzzle, one beautiful mosaic that you're trying to put together through us broken people. And I pray, Father, that you would humble us as followers, not to close ourselves up and to isolate ourselves and say, no, I'm not going to serve. I'm not going to get behind this or that, because I'm afraid of being deceived or hurt or whatever because lord love is sacrificial and if we're following the leading of your holy spirit because there's times where i was following leadership and it was clear that the leadership was in the wrong and you showed me how to gracefully leave and gracefully remove myself from that situation and lord you'll do the same for us if we are are listening to you and we're following the leading of your holy spirit lord make your way plain to us in our hearts and our lives and our minds so that we could be forged and built into a community that you would be pleased with, a community that you could use, a, munis a, 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 a community that would be empowered by the people to do great things for you. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we ask these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. Bashem Yeshua Moshino, in the name of Yeshua our Messiah. Amen.